good morning. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have good news. Pastor David has arrived safely in Africa, so we continue to pray for a fruitful trip for him. So this morning, we get to continue our sermon series in Imagine, and uh, the title this morning is Satisfied, and we're looking at John 6, 1 to 15, so if you want to pull out your Bibles or your phones or tablet and swipe there, uh, the verses will also be up on the screen, but um, some of you know I have a habit once in a while of starting with a Calvin and Hobbes. So, um, luckily, today is one of those days. <laughs> you know what the problem is with the universe? Hmm. There's no toll-free customer service hotline for complaints. That's why things don't get fixed. If the universe had any decent management, we'd get a full refund if we weren't completely satisfied. But the place is free. See, that's another thing. They should have a cover charge to keep out the riffraff. <laughs> so what would you say is the problem with the universe? What is on your, your wish list? I wish, I wish I had more money. I wish I had that job. Oh, I wish that relationship were just different. I wish I didn't have these health problems. What is your I wish these days? Or what are your I wishes? I mean, isn't that the case? Can you, can you remember a single time in your life when everything was perfect? My, my guess is no. My experience is there's always at least one thing that I just wish were different. And the crazy thing is, if we live our lives that way and live in the I wish, we will never be satisfied. We think that just that one more thing is going to make life good. In John 6.35, Jesus has something to say about that. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus taught that the I wish, those wishes don't need to get resolved that I can still have life, I can still be happy, I can still be satisfied. Because my satisfaction does not depend on my wishes coming true, but my satisfaction depends on Jesus. Because he alone is the one that satisfies. And isn't that your experience? I, I remember, I know in my life, I've had times when it's like, oh, if this one thing were just different, then I would be so happy, everything would be perfect, and life would be wonderful, and there'd be nothing wrong. 
and then it happens. Not one thing gets fixed, and, and then what? Well, <laughs> then the next thing on my wish list is the one at the top, right? And I'm never satisfied. Unless, unless I find my satisfaction in my relationship with Jesus. And the I wish list, it's still there. It's still there. It's just underneath. It's underneath my satisfaction in my relationship with Jesus. And so that's the question we're asking this morning. How can I be satisfied? And we're looking, we're looking at John 6, 1 to 15. And we've got five simple answers from John 6. And so we're going to walk through this passage and, and talk about each one. So the first one is, how can I be satisfied? Behold his uniqueness. We're talking about Jesus. Behold his uniqueness. So uh, in, in John 6, 1 to 2, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And just a, a, a little um, blurb out front to, to recognize and remember that for, for John, in the Gospel of John, John talks about signs. Like they're not just miracles that Jesus does. They're not just wonders. They are signs. And what is a sign? A sign is something that points to something greater. And so the miracles and the wonders that Jesus does in the Gospel of John, John tells them for a purpose, and that's to point to something greater, more important than the miracle or the wonder that Jesus does. So here we have a large crowd following Jesus. Why are they following Jesus? Because Jesus is a miracle worker. Because Jesus is doing signs. He's doing amazing things. He's healing the sick. That's intriguing, isn't it? People want to follow Jesus because, because he's amazing. He's unique. He's special. In the 1920s, uh, Dr. James Allen Francis wrote a poem. Many of you have probably heard it, but I want to read it for us because it's just wonderful. It highlights how unique Jesus is. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of these things, usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33, and his friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, went through the mockery of a trial, nailed to a cross between two thieves, and while dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And 19 centuries have come and gone. And today, Jesus is a central figure of the human race. 
and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, all put together, have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Jesus is unique. There is no one like him. There never has been. There never will be. He is alive, and he is God in the flesh. And people knew it. The crowds followed him. John 8, 58 says, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the, Jew, the Jewish leaders, they knew what he meant because they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Jesus claimed to be God. And in Mark 14, 61 to 62, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus clearly claimed to be divine. Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So who is he? Are you convinced? Is he the Messiah? Is he God in the flesh? Or was he just some crazy prophet person in the past who lied about who he was? No. He's the Messiah. He is God. And what we choose to believe about who he is is the most important thing we will ever think It changes everything. Yes or no? That is the question. In John 20, 31, John, this is the end of the Gospel of John, and John tells us why he's written the entire book of John. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. that my, by believing you may have life in his name. John write, wrote the Gospel of John so that we would read it and see his signs and see that that points to something greater, who Jesus is, and that we'd believe him. Not just intellectually, but with a heart, that we'd believe in him, that we would put our trust in him. And that when we do that, the result is that we will be satisfied. We will have life in his name. Okay, number two, how can I be satisfied? Recognize your need. John 6, 3 to 7 says this. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. 
lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So there's a huge need. And they don't know how they're going to satisfy that need. So Jesus asked the question, how are we going to do this? Philip's like, ah, uh, it's impossible. What are our needs? When we think of the, the basic four, right? Food, water, shelter, clothing. If you have those four things, then everything is perfect, right? You're happy, content, life is good. Okay, we can all just go home, right? <laughs> no. Because we have deeper needs in that, don't we? Here's some wisdom from Jesus in Matthew 6. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, a drink, or enough clothes to wear. It's Matthew 6, 25. And he goes on. So let me, let me read that for us. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. If your heavenly Father feeds them, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Isn't that cool that we're more valuable to God than birds? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Verse 33 is key. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Why does he tell us to do that? Jesus says your, your food needs, your clothing needs, your water needs, all those things, they'll be taken care of because God loves you and cares for you. And just having those needs met, that's not where life is at. Where are you going to experience real life, satisfied life, is by seeking first the kingdom of God and living righteously. So what are our deepest longings? Forever life, forgiven life, and fulfilling life. Isn't that a great summary of our deepest longings? Forever life, we just, we don't want to die. I mean, even people who are suffering immensely in life, 
there's something within us that says, I don't want to die. I want to live. And the good news is, well, the bad news is that we're all going to die, right? It's going to happen. Statistically, that's a pretty high probability. But the good news is that Jesus says is that he gives us forever life when we put our trust in him. We have a deep desire to live forever, and only Jesus can satisfy that desire. Forgiven life. Theologian I really respect said this, what do you do with your guilt As a Christian, we have this wonderful hope and promise from God that he takes away our guilt. We have forgiven life. We're free. And then fulfilling life, we all long for something deeper. We long for purpose and meaning. We long for our lives to be significant. And only Jesus can truly satisfy that desire as well. So for the next three weeks, next three Sundays, we're going to be focusing on each of these. Forever life, forgiven life, and fulfilling life. And showing how Jesus alone satisfies each of these. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And I think of these longings that we have of forever life, forgiven life, and fulfilling life. I think of God's placed within us a desire, longing for each of those to be satisfied. And he gives us the promise that he will do that. A resounding yes. All right, number three, how can I be satisfied? Exchange your little, John 6, 8 to 10. So continuing our passage, one of, the, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to him, okay, so, so they have this crowd of people, crowd of people who are hungry. They've all followed Jesus because Jesus is doing signs and doing wonderful things and teaching, and they want to be there. And so they're out in the middle of nowhere with Jesus. And Jesus is like, all these people are hungry. How are we going to feed them? They're like, I don't know. The disciples have no idea. They're like, this is, we don't have, this is, that's expensive. We don't have enough money to do that. And Andrew speaks up. Uh, Jesus, um, there's a boy. He's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Isn't, isn't that us? Isn't that our life? Isn't that your experience? It's like we see this huge need around us or this huge need within us. Our friends, our family, our world, a great need. And we're like, um, I got a little bit, but it's nothing really. And Jesus says, that's all I'm asking for, just what you've got. Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And we're going to see Jesus is going to do a lot with a little. And isn't that what life is about, according to the scripture? It's the great exchange, right? It's us taking our little, my little. Jesus, I've got just a little bit. I don't have much. I'm just measly me, Steve. I'm no one special. I'm just a regular person. Trying my best, but not, my best not good enough because I blow it all the time. But you know what, Lord? What I've got, I give to you. And that's what he asks, to exchange our little. Maybe, maybe you recognize, maybe you recognize this picture. This is uh, three men. This is Jim Elliott, Ed McCauley, and Pete Fleming. They were three of five missionaries that were murdered in Ecuador in 1956. They, they gave their lives to bring the gospel to a tribe that had never heard of Jesus. They were, they were um, separated from the rest of the world, and they, they, would, they were known to be violent. And these men wanted to bring the gospel to them. There's a movie about it. It's called The End of the Spear. If you haven't seen it, great movie. The End of the Spear. They were speared to death near their plane after they landed to, uh, to try to connect with them. Jim Elliot kept a diary. And he had written this quote, pretty well-known quote. I'm sure you've heard it before. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot and those other four missionaries, they lived out the great exchange, did they not? They lived it to the full. The little bit that they had, their very lives, they had said to God, it's not mine, it's yours. I give to you my little. Would you make it much? And there's more to the story, by the way. Because of their sacrifice, uh, many of those uh, Ecuadorians, many of those, that, the tribe, put their faith in Christ. And uh, the story is amazing. There are books, um, and obviously the movie that I mentioned. So if you want to look into that, great missionary story to read. Jesus said in Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we, have, we have crosses in our buildings. Some of us wear crosses on our necks, and we tattoo crosses on our, on our bodies. But a cross is a symbol of death. And when Jesus, when Jesus said to his disciples, if you follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross, he was basically saying to follow me means to die. Now, of course, for some people, that means physical death. But, but for most of us, what he meant was, it's not you anymore that's alive. 
It's me living through you. If you want to follow me, you need to give up your life to me. Trust me that much. That you would say, my life is not about me anymore. My life is not mine anymore. My life is yours, Jesus, because you died for me and you love me and I trust you. Matthew 19, Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus doesn't just ask for us to give him our lives with nothing in return. No, he promises over and over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout scripture that when we submit our lives to him, when we trust him, when we make the great exchange that he promises that he will give us so much more in return. Life eternal. And that we will be satisfied forever in a relationship with him. So what does it look like for you to make the great exchange these days? Time, talent, and treasure. Those are kind of the three categories, right? We submit our lives to the Lord. When we make the great exchange, we say, Lord, my life is yours. That's what we mean, right? My time is yours, Jesus. My talents are yours, Jesus. My treasures are yours, Jesus. Have you, have you said that to him recently? And for all of us, that looks different, doesn't it? But what does that look like for you? Today and tomorrow, in the coming months and years, to say, Lord, my time, my talents, my treasures are yours. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Isn't that an encouraging promise as we sacrifice everything before the Lord and say, Lord, time, talent, and treasure, it's all yours. Or number four, how can I be satisfied? Acknowledge abundance in John 6, 11 to 13, continuing our passage here. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fists, as much as they wanted. I love that phrase. As much as they wanted wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, another great phrase, eaten their fill. You kind of get the idea they had enough food. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Okay, so they ate enough. They had their fill. They were satisfied. And there's leftovers. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So again, 634 of Matthew. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. What a fabulous promise. Notice it doesn't say he will give you everything you want. 
He will give you everything you need. When we put him first, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's Matthew 5, 6. They shall be satisfied. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? We have the promise that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. Do you want to be satisfied? I want to be satisfied. Here's the way to do it. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you know what a great prayer is? If you're like, ah, I, I don't, it's like, it's not there. I just don't feel it. I don't feel that desire for righteousness. You know what a great prayer is? Lord, I don't, I don't have that strong desire, that hunger and thirst for righteousness that I know I should have. Jesus, will you give me that hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because I want to be satisfied. All right, number five, how can we be satisfied? How can we be satisfied? Delight in him, John 6, 14 to 15. So the last two verses are a passage here. When the people saw the sign that he had done, so again, that, that word, the sign, so, which is so cool to remember that John here is telling this story because he's trying to make a point. And the point isn't that Jesus feeds a bunch of people with a little bit of barley loaves and fish. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus is the one that satisfied. So when people that saw this, when people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So back in Deuteronomy, uh, God, through Moses, spoke to the people and said that there's going to be a prophet coming in the future, and you must, you must listen to him. And if you don't, you'll be cut off from your people. And so they're pretty smart here because they're recognizing, no, Jesus is that prophet. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Oh, this is interesting. Well, Jesus is king, right? He's king of kings and lord of lords. And the people want to make him king. So it's like, what do you think? Gee, well, Jesus, mission accomplished, right? They're going to make a king. Avoid the cross. That sounds desirable, right? Well, no. Because Jesus knows why they want to make him king. Jesus knows that they don't want a suffering Messiah to die for their sins and the sins of the world. They want someone who's just going to keep feeding them. Fill my belly. That's who they want. So what happens next is, you know, Jesus, it says here that Jesus went to, my, to a mountain by himself. Jesus went to pray. People want to make him king. People want Jesus to be someone he's not supposed to be, someone who he's not, and he just withdraws. To go pray because he knows that he's going to the cross. So, what happens next is the disciples, 
they just, they're on their own, right? So Jesus takes off to go up to the mountain to pray. Disciples hop in a boat, start going across the lake. A storm comes, and disciples are like, oh, no, we're afraid. And then Jesus walks on the water, and they're like, ah, he's uh, with a ghost. And then Jesus says, oh, it's me. And they go, oh, okay, then get in the boat. Jesus gets in the boat. Immediately, they're like on the land where they were going. And then the people who Jesus fed, they're like, well, there's only one boat here, and now it's not here this next day. There's only one boat here, and now it's gone, and the disciples got in the boat, but Jesus didn't, so where's Jesus? They're looking for him, because they still want to make him king. Well, they find him on the other side of the lake, and then Jesus says to them, when they find him, this is John 6, 26, so later in this chapter, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do you get that? Jesus is saying, you're not seeking me because you saw the sign that points to me as the one that satisfies truly. You don't want me. You don't really want me. You just want me to fill your belly. You just want what I give, but you don't want me. Do you see how important that is? Do we make the same mistake? We just want his gifts. Like, Jesus, just fix these things in my life, and then I'll be happy. Jesus, just do this for me, and that's all I want. And Jesus is saying, that's not who I am, because I love you, and I know that you will not be satisfied if I just fix things, because you don't need those things fixed. What you need is me. I am the bread of life. Notice Jesus did not say, I give the bread of life. He didn't say that. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Paul in Philippians 3, it says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For Paul, what was it all about? It was about knowing Jesus and everything else was meaningless. Closing quote is Peter in John 6, 68. So what happens next, you know, we're kind of looking at later in John 6, what happens next, you know, Jesus says to these people, like, you're just looking for me because I filled you up with bread. And then Jesus has this really weird sermon. He's like, if you don't eat my bread and drink my, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my, my blood, then you don't have life. And they're like, whoa, that doesn't make sense. I'm out of here. And all these people left. And then Jesus turns to his disciples. And he says, he says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? This is what Peter says. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Closing question. Are you asking yourself, should I start to follow Jesus? Can I, can I give you the answer? The answer is yes. 
Because you have these deep longings within you that only Jesus can fulfill. So you might just want to say in your heart right now, Jesus, you are the one. Well, according to scripture, it says that you are the one that can satisfy me. And I want to be satisfied. So Jesus, if... Jesus, I, I trust you. I believe you. I surrender to you. I will follow you. Or maybe your question these days is, should I keep following Jesus? Maybe life is just super, super hard right now. Maybe God is just not coming through. I, I've been there. I think we've all been there. Like, I don't know if this following Jesus thing is working out very well. Can I just give you the answer? Yes. Keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Because his promises are real. And even though it's really, really hard or sometimes it doesn't make sense, where else can we go? He is the one with the words of eternal life. Let me close us with a, a prayer. Jesus, you alone satisfy. I am convinced life is hard and sometimes following you is hard, but the rewards are great and you are the one with the words of eternal life. So Jesus, I will follow. Amen.